0: Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out Toronto Today for a Friday heading into a long weekend, May the 20th. Well, how's that weather going to hold up for all of us over the next three and a half days? Global News Chief Meteorologist Anthony Farnell checks in there. Edward Keenan from the Toronto Star with us. And we talk about the Buffalo Massacre last weekend. Heavy, heavy stuff uh, and how it's sort of reverberating around not just uh, the American media landscape, but ours as well. And legendary rock and roller Tom Cochran on the show. He's got a show at Casino Rama tomorrow night. Uh, And uh, a tour coming up in the fall where he'll play all across Ontario. Lots of different smaller venues in the GTA. Tom can do that now. Uh, You become a music legend. It's amazing what you can pull off. And uh, he'll join Toronto today uh, to talk about getting back uh, to live music after COVID-19. All coming up. And it starts now. Let me go to this last night. Um, You may know that there was a, a rally um, last night, about the buffalo shooting in the city of Toronto. And I'm for it. Let me get this out of the way first. I'm for it, not against it, because I think people need to gather and have conversations about change sometimes. I think they have to have conversations when they're grieving. And I think they have to have conversations when they're when they're rattled. I remember a girlfriend uh, had me come to the I was really, really had a big crush on her. So I probably would have gone to a, an insurance seminar with her. Um, but uh, without knowing much about insurance, but she said, come with me to the, um, the first anniversary of the Montreal massacre and a vigil at, at the Western campus. And I was a freshman then like first year and in 1990 and I did, and it, it changed things. I wouldn't say it changed, um, you know, it didn't turn me from a bad person to a good person. And I'm not trying to, you know, say that, uh, that I got everything right after that as a human being or as a man. Okay. Um, but Life's about that that journey and that evolutionary period. So I think it's good to gather and uh, and see if, if something lands for you and changes how things go. I know people did that here with, with 9-11 in Toronto. Um, there were more than enough conversations that you'd have in the aftermath of 9-11 with friends of mine that live in New York City or living in the States at the time, where, again, think about what my recollection of that is. You just sat on the couch until about... You know, you'd go in and do your show. I was doing a 9 to noon show then. And you'd get up at 6 in the morning, go in and do your show, come back and just stare at the television like a zombie. And you'd burst into tears a couple of times. I still hear a couple of tracks on that Springsteen's album, uh, Bruce Springsteen album, The Rising, which is almost all songs about 9-11. And you think about uh, there's a song called You're Missing. And it's just photos of people. Do you remember? There were just photos on walls. I can't find my son. I can't find my wife. I can't find this person I only met a month ago. I don't know where they are. Here's a photo. Can anybody? And it eventually it just busts you up. And every every news reporter drove because uh, you couldn't fly then. Found a way to drive, and I'm sure Canadian reporters did too to Manhattan and cover this story. So last night they have a vigil against anti-black hatred. Uh, in remembrance of the victims, and I think that they should. I think that's a, that ends up being a good thing. What I don't have the answer for is how a lot of the calls are for government to step up and change things to prevent something like this from happening. So you could talk about gun registration and gun laws. You could talk about regulating the internet and uh, and some of the radicalization that goes on there. Of course, you could do those particular things. I understand the concept of that. I don't know how governments get into people's heads and get into people's homes and are able to make a change in terms of how they feel. I don't know how that happens. There can certainly be um, people step up and say, hey, that legislation is discriminatory. Obviously, we've got um, a religious symbol uh, law in Quebec, that doesn't seem right. And finally, finally, the federal leaders stepped up and said um, that that it isn't. And they decided we're going to actually talk about this, this uh, election campaign. And we weren't doing that in the 2019 election campaign. This is wrong that people can't have a, a a job in the public sector while wearing a religious symbol. The niqab law is is wrong and discriminatory, which is not quite exactly the same thing but in that vicinity. So I understand why you would have this particular um, scenario. Um, uh, CP24 took a a camera there and a reporter there, and they talked to somebody named Janet. I'm going to credit them for this video. And Janet said, Janet was well-spoken, I understood it, I watched this live at the time, and uh, and she said this about being there for this vigil last night at Nathan Phillips Square.
1: I think it's really important to be supporting our community. You know, there's a lot of pain in what, ha- what happened and being here in solidarity with everyone so that we can support each other and, you know, try and make a difference.
0: I understand it, and that's a that, that's a lot of feeling there, but there isn't really anything practical in what Janet said. And if I were there last night, I'd be like, I don't know what difference I can make. Um, same scenario here with this particular answer.
1: Every time I just think like that could be my brother, that could be my dad, my cousin, and it's scary even for me just to be walking around in the city and thinking if that happened here like what would I do in a situation like that. So I think it's really important that we bring these issues to light so that we can start seeing change in our community.
0: Look, I understand that. I get it a hundred percent. And and I especially understand it with the context of of this maniac in Buffalo uh, being a racist and and espousing racist views. I understand it completely how it's going to bring out raw emotions. Um, but when I think about that and, and listen, Sandy Hook did that. Do you remember Sandy Hook happens? A mass shooter blazes through an elementary school, kids, uh, kills kids and teachers. And that had a. Reverb effect back to all of us most of us who had little kids in school at that point in time said what are you guys doing here for locks how what's the security like at that from that point in time i remember this like it was yesterday we had to buzz in to walk into the school before you could just walk right in hey my kid forgot something which often happened here's uh i'm gonna drop it off at the office you could do that instead now you have to get buzzed in it's been that way ever since sandy hook let me take you back to the Danforth shooting in 2018. Mass shooting, Sunday night, lovely evening, people out and eating. And a man, a rather disturbed young man, with an agenda, killed two people and wounded 13 using just a handgun. He died by suicide after a shootout with Toronto police, but obviously we would have had a trial, we would have had a sentencing, we would have done this, we would have done that. He had visited ISIS websites. His name was Faisal hussein and we didn't look around and think we need to do something about this we just thought evil is evil in anybody's name and i guess we could talk about you know access to guns but there's nothing we can do about this particular situation no one felt persecuted no one did at that point in time i know it's different with this particular scenario and I've lived in the States long enough and living in Michigan, which has had some racially charged moments in its past, that it's understandable. Next week will be the two year anniversary of George Floyd being murdered in Minneapolis by a white police officer. Emotions will be high and they will be raw. And I understand why that will be so. It was like that in London. I it, That was a really emotional week talking to people in London, watching the service, this beautiful family, except for the one little boy who survived, gets mowed down by a racist maniac in a van. I understand the grief, the anger. What do we do? How do we stop it? But I'm telling you, these conversations are meant to be within your own home and meant to be on your own street and meant to be among friends and colleagues and, yeah, in the workplace sometimes. I don't know what government is supposed to do here in a case like this that could be me i understand that i understand that's a visceral feeling that you're allowed to have y- people felt that way about the uh, the toronto van murders obviously again with alec manassian in 2018 also that was a really rough summer the danforth shooting happened 2 months after the uh, you know the van killings as well um, but this mass shooting at the grocery store in buffalo new york obviously black people were targeted this, the, the suspected killer, seems like the obvious killer, is white. We know all those boxes that were checked. He's been plotting the ambush for a long period of time. He broadcasted on live stream. He's not from Buffalo. He wanted to go to the zip code with the highest proportion of black people in upstate New York. And I think about all that, and I think, let's not get this. Let's not go macro on this and think that there isn't big progress and not think at the end of the day that there's been massive progress, and it's it's been better, well, not more visceral, viscerally, but it's been better to be a black person living in America now than it was in 1964 and 1984 and 1994. I'm gonna say it again. I said it earlier this week. Black president, landslide elections, hugely popular family. His wife can snap a finger, have a talk, uh, uh, a talk um, segment at the. Uh, At the Scotiabank Arena, she can give a talk and 18,000 people will pay a few hundred bucks to go see her every time, every single time. That's how popular she is. Two black Supreme Court justices, black people running companies and, and, you know, Fortune 500 companies that they weren't running before. Incredibly influential billionaires in the music industry, in athletics, owning sports teams. I know it's not perfect. I know it's not America's not a utopia right now for black Americans. There's problems with education, broken families, crime, housing, all that stuff. And so some of that does have to get fixed. But I look at last night and I go, I understand gathering. I understand sharing emotions. But if we're talking practicality, if we're talking practicality, I'm not sure what you can end up doing. Let me tell you how difficult race is to talk about and uh, and, and just get somewhere really quick. I see in the Toronto star this morning, here's the, uh, here's the headline. I was very isolated report documents, Hispanic students, alienation in Ontario. New study finds Hispanic students in Ontario. Don't see themselves represented by teachers and peers. And many reported struggling while developing a sense of belonging in their school and community. Okay. We can have conversations about it, but that's not the racial, you know, ethno makeup of Ontario. OK, if I moved to another country, if I moved anywhere, Prague uh, in the Czech Republic, I'd feel isolated. Let's say I moved to Islamabad, Pakistan. Let me take the BBC job as a correspondent in Islamabad, Pakistan, and I'm 26 years old. Do you think I'd see a lot of myself in on street corners among CEOs of companies with university professors if I was taking courses there? No. I would not. I'm looking at the racial makeup of it right now. I would definitely feel in the minority and definitely feel isolated. These things can't be helped sometimes. We can only go so far. All We can, we can listen to you, how you feel. But again, practically, I'm not sure what governments are supposed to do. All we can do is look at it in our mirrors, raise our kids a certain way, talk to our parents and peers a certain way, and try and do better. You know all the songs, you know most of the uh, history. Tom Cochran fronted Red Rider forever. You've heard all these big hits, Boy Inside the Man, Big League. Obviously, life is a highway on the radio. He'll play Casino-rama tomorrow night, getting back out there. uh, And Tom's kind enough to join Toronto Today right now. Uh, You must be excited. It's been a while. Uh, You've been on the shelf. COVID's iced a lot of artists like yourself. And uh, you get to hit the stage and play all your hits uh, for your fans tomorrow night
2: we're just so excited and everybody's pumped we were rehearsing last uh, day or two i just got back from france i was over there with jim cuddy and barney bentall and everybody and we were doing some uh what we call kitchen party uh fundraisers and that. it was just just wonderful and i'm off to italy again after the show but then back and we'll be on the rock we'll be playing out in newfoundland i'm excited about that one that'll be on the 21st of june and then we start our summer uh, really start the summer in earnest. But this is, to me, this is a summer show. The, the, like we are kicking it off and, and that that kind of vibe is going to be there on the weekend and, and we're looking forward to seeing
0: everybody out. So it's, it's going to be epic. Tom Cochran, uh, our guest on Toronto Today on 640 Toronto. It's great to see faces again. When you say, well, I can see Jim Cuddy and Barney Bentall, like it's one thing to stay in touch via a computer screen and it's one thing to embrace modern technology and think, okay, we can do things we couldn't do 10 years ago, let alone 30, but mm-hmm. human contact, human, uh, that, and, and again, I think I told you, I, I went to a show a few weeks ago and it felt like like a top five all time concert. It might not have been, but that's how we're starting to feel. When we, when we think, well, I go to a show every five or six weeks and then you go 30, 31 months without seeing a show. It's a the, the euphoria of some of the audiences. You're going to spot that Saturday night. I know that.
2: Oh yeah. It's, it's going to be incredible that way. It's, there's no replacing it you know greg it's it's it, this is this is how it started this is how how basically blues and rock and roll and r and 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 jazz and everything was meant they were meant to be uh, appreciated live and there's no substitute for that it's just like seeing a you know a video of matera or something in southern italy which i'll be in next week it's like it doesn't do it the same justice as being there feeling it being part of it it's just you know, that's that's such a big part of, of, of what we do. And, you know, I become more keenly aware of that as I've gotten older. So I, I really appreciate every moment.
0: Did the road, I, I, you know, you had to sort of be on that uh, success treadmill for a long time, probably, album tour, album tour, and, and you were pumping out content. You get to call so much of your own shots now, and you have for quite a long time. But did it ever, you know, you're younger, when kids are younger, the road must get, it must get weary. It must get repetitive at times. And now you can, like you said, book what you want when you want and and fully embrace it. But when, even when you're younger and you got all this energy in your twenties and thirties, did it ever, did you ever say, ah, I I could do without the next three weeks?
2: (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, that's, that's the catch point. I mean, that's, that's your slave to the process. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when you're starting out, because, you know, especially like through the States, endless tours, you know, you'd be looking forward to, you'd be counting the days on the, on the, the ceiling of your 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 crypt in your bus uh which is where you slept and not notching off the days when you get home and then all of a sudden you get a phone call the record's doing really well you got to stay out you got to join jefferson starship down in uh you know athens georgia and and you're going oh man i just wanted to get home back then you know even if you had a day or two off um in the early 80s you couldn't afford to uh, fly home all the time so we uh yeah i mean in the beginning it's a grind you pay your dues but that's all part of it You know, that's there's nothing in life comes easy and um you know music's the same thing it's it it, it it i'm not gonna lie to you it was a grind in the beginning but you that's where you rely on on the faith in the music and the faith in in your your bandmates and um and all that to, to get you through and 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 the power of the music and, and just trying to kill some of those empty hours because it has been said before you know it's it's it's, there's an hour of joy on stage or a couple hours of joy on stage and then then the grind of getting to the next gig and but we paid our dues and and now i'm i'm what what's called a a legendary heritage artist or whatever they they're (laughs) calling and i just feel so blessed to be able to get on stage every uh every night or when we we book shows and 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 uh and play for people. It's just, uh, I appreciate it now more than I ever did in, in a lot of ways. I, and it certainly makes me feel invigorated and, and and young for sure.
0: Tom Cochran's our guest on six forty Toronto. So I know, um, I know I, we're coming up to summer 22 and I know I saw you probably twice in summer 92 and 91's when you put mad, mad world out that fall, I'm a, I'm a student at, at Western mm-hmm. at that point in time. And I would have seen you, at Alumni Hall in London that fall, but ninety two's when everything probably got pretty crazy, and and we're just talking about that, right? The extended commitments—you probably set a goal with your manager, and you say this is when we'll tour, and then it gets really big, and you got to play everywhere in the states. You got to keep going, on the, and, and yeah. then you're on Letterman and Leno, like. But you can't. You're you're telling it to me. Like you can't complain. This is what this is what you sign up for. This is what you dream about. And there's, you know, there's a lot of Canadian acts that tried to get those songs on in the States, tried to push a band as great as the hip. Couldn't do it. Like it's hard. And you get that opportunity 30 years ago. And, and you just felt like you were, you were, you were going nonstop, probably at that point in time. Oh yeah. And and you can't,
2: you know, you, 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 you lay it on the line and you put 150% uh, out there every night. Um, and that's, that's basically what, you know, what, what you signed up for. And, um, and you remember all the tough gigs. You remember all the times that people were throwing bottles at you when you were playing bars because you weren't playing Led Zeppelin <laughs> and you wanted to try to play your, your original songs. And, and uh, some of those grubby places that were, they're kind of magical when you look back on them now, but they were, they were tough shows. It was a real grind when you're out there playing clubs and rehearse, you know, and, and staying in, in uh, grubby band houses and, and that and you struggle through it and you push through it and you you remember that every night. So when you start to play the bigger stages and for more people and they know the songs and they're singing along to the songs, I mean, it, can't, it doesn't get better than that, you
0: know. I'll tell you a funny story. I go on a baseball trip with my dad, summer of 92, and we go to Milwaukee and we go we go to the try and go to the Cubs and White Sox games. So we started taking these trips, but they play no regrets in between innings in the summer of 92. Yeah. And I'm like. Well, everybody knows the other song, but here's a second song from this album. It's already a big hit in Canada, but it's amazing how sort of word of mouth and, and DJs then could sort of help make and break a band. And I thought, wow, this this is big, like he's planted his his feet firmly on the ground here in a, in a, in a massive, massive country. And, and where he, you, you know, you were getting hurt a ton, let alone the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the Rascal flats cover later on, let alone, you know, you've been on Miami vice on soundtracks, but it, yeah. that summer really started to pop for you, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it really did. And that's when I kind of, you know, we came back from the States, I think we were in Dallas and we flew to um, Victoria mm-hmm. and started the Canadian swing of the tour. and And that's when they opened the speedway. Um, and I think we did close to 20,000 people there. And, and, and all of a sudden th- it, it just hit us like a, a ton of bricks, like, wow, this wave, you know, all the hard work it's paid off. Look at these, look at these people and, and what a, what an insanely wonderful venue it was. I remember Terry David Mulligan had set up a couch beside the <laughs> stage in the, in the long, uh, fescue grass. And, and we did an interview from there for, for his show and stuff. And, uh, I remember climbing the the uh, scaffolding for the first time and I'm afraid of heights, but it's funny when you get that adrenaline going, you know, and it's climbing the scaffolding and, uh, uh, just, it was just a magical time for sure. As that record just went through the ceiling and it just, uh, you know, in that summer it went to uh, number four or five in the States and it was, it was just an amazing time, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to put it into words that the kind of energy and the kind of wave that you're surfing, you know, um, in those times, but it was, it was pretty magical and it was a whole different level for sure. Prior to that, I'd say, Greg, there was, it was a manageable level in, in music. You know, we had a man, manageable level of success, but perceptions, everything. I mean, here I was in my late thirties. And we were a guys' band earlier than that. You know, "Lunatic Fringe" initially was a guys'. Now we got so many you know, women talk about how much they love that song. So it has a real broad reach, and still does, and still probably over the years is is uh, uh, a bigger song or more mm. important song in some ways. In "Life's a Highway," and, uh, and but back then when it was out, you know, through the '80s, it was we were a guys' band, and um, then all of a sudden. You know, it took on a certain uh, real uh, all-consuming, massive pop uh, thing. And we had everybody coming out. I mean, we just had everybody coming out for those shows during Mad Mad World and in the the subsequent uh, three or four years following it. So it was and I'm so grateful for it. So people say sometimes, don't you get tired of playing Life's a Highway? I said, absolutely not. You know, that that song's put a lot of, uh, you know, tanks of fuel in the, the tour bus and and I look out there every night and see all these people singing. And you don't you you get this incredible energy back from the audience. Yeah.
0: Tom Cochran uh, is joining us. Um he'll be with Red Rider uh Saturday night at Casino Rama. Still some tickets left and then lots of big shows coming up in September, uh in the fall, all over the place, Richmond Hill, uh over in Belleville and a few other venues. Um, last couple couple things for you. One is you know, I had Michael Timmins on from Cowboy Junkies the other week, and I said to him, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the longevity they've had, they've made 16 albums. Like nobody, I, I worry now, and he said <laughs> it too, I don't know if young bands now are going to make 16 albums. The album is different. Consuming music is different. You must be glad you did it when you did it. You had radio support. You mentioned Ter- Terry David Mulligan, video support on Much, and a yeah. lot of your contemporary, and a lot of the bands that followed, you you you, were, you got close with Grapes of Wrath, or um, Odds, or 5440. We had just, we had a great great music industry it's i'm not saying we don't now but it just felt like about 20 years we were just in a real sweet spot for rock and roll in canada
2: yeah it's it's different now for sure greg and you know i've had this discussion with my my good friend alex Lifeson um and we went we lived through the golden era mm-hmm. um the golden years of, of music and now it's a matter of getting that one song out it's a matter of getting that single out it's a matter of you know, and I try not to, I'm so out of touch with that side of it. I just, you know, I've got my following, I got my fans. Um, I consider family and friends and, and I try to to just um, do what makes Tom Cochran uh, satisfied. And hopefully that resonates with people. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a tough time for young artists to start out, you know, and they have to manage the whole social media side. It's very multifaceted and, and there are just no, no record sales. You know, it's, it's, it's all about getting uh, streamed and, um, things of that nature. And then, then there's, there's very little middle-class to, to music. Now it's all, you know, the, the, the top tier artists, uh, you know, might be selling stuff. And I, I really don't know whether they even selling CDs these days, but, uh, I doubt it. It's mostly streaming. So, you know, but the, the, the whole middle class has kind of fallen away and, uh, which is unfortunate because that side of it would would create a, a fertile environment, you know, environment for young artists to kind of grow in.
0: I can't thank you enough for the time, again, being generous with, with me, our audience, and, uh, and have a great show on, on Saturday. And I know um, Sa- September has you all over uh, the GTA, up in Ottawa, Kingston as well. So it's a, it looks like a real Ontario tour throughout most of the fall, which is awesome. Yeah, it's
2: going to be great, and I love doing those small, uh, small PAC venues. They're just intimate enough. They're big enough that you get you accommodate enough people, but you really feel connected with the audience. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. And everybody have a safe summer. Wear your sunscreen. Um, we're out. Hopefully, we're out of the woods with the COVID thing, and uh, it's it's exciting to get back out there. And I just want to let you know, Greg. I always appreciate your support. You've been supportive all over the years and and uh it, it doesn't go unnoticed and i really appreciate it
0: it's great to have him uh tom cochran joining us on uh, toronto today i want to welcome on edward keenan who's of course toronto star columnist washington bureau chief it's great to have you on toronto today edward thanks for making the time
1: hey it's great to be here
0: um you were in heavy story uh you were in buffalo most of the week you attended a vigil uh you were talking to residents there um, this one obviously resonates with people in the GTA, but, but it, it feels like America grabbed onto this one, maybe more than other recent mass shootings. Would,
1: am I, uh, am I on side with that perspective? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on your definition of mass shootings because, you know, in the United States, I think if, if more than three or four people are shot, they qualify it. And there's been like 200 this year, yeah. so there are lots, but, um, this kind of shooting which happened in such a uh, a very public place a supermarket you know kind of like remember the shootout at the Toronto Eaton Center that happened probably a decade ago now mm. it, it's sort of for people in that community that's that's their communal living room right and then I think also the the targeting of black residents the publication of the manifesto uh, the the guy live streaming it uh, as it was happening I mean, all, all of that stuff sort of adds to what makes this so horrifying and, and riveting in a widespread way. And so, yeah, it, it has been, you know, embraced in the GTA because those are our neighbors, but also across the United States, because it's it, even in a country where uh, shootings become mundane. Uh, th- this this one is particularly shocking. So the president was there while I was there. Um, there's been a lot of attention paid to it. Just a desperately sad place right now in Buffalo. That's just a community that's really hurting.
0: I can imagine. Um, a lot has been made of of media coverage. A lot of it has been made about the amplification of, um, you know, great replacement theory and whatnot. Um, it's tough to know. It's tough to know where it all lands and where it goes. There's, there's, I mean, look, people are dug in on their sides politically in the United States. We're well aware of that. What did you make of some of the coverage and and debate and discussion of this concept?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think when a mass killer is parroting the talking points that your political party or you as a cable host are putting forward, maybe it's time to take a look in the mirror. I think anybody who wants to point fingers and say, you know, these people spreading these ideas are responsible for what this maniac did. Uh I don't think that's a very wise approach, and I don't think uh, you you can blame anybody except the, the guy who did it and anyone who may have helped him, although it, it seems like he acted alone. But I think when uh, after after years where in South Carolina, in Pittsburgh, in El Paso, Texas, uh, you've got you know, racist killers targeting large groups of people, and they're publishing, essentially political manifestos that, that lean on some of the same concepts that have become uh, discussed in, in mainstream political discussions, uh, maybe it is time to take a look at those ideas and have a, have a real conversation about what they're leading to, uh, especially when, in my point of view, when you look at a theory like, like Great Replacement Theory and see that it's, it's total crap yeah. and, and racist crap underneath
0: yeah, like, i I think governments will I, I think two things about what you said. One, governments will always have um a vibe for what they should do regarding immigration. I always make the point, you know, we know if we're sitting at a dinner party and someone just all of a sudden loudly uh, steps up and says, "I've got some opinions on immigration I want to share with the table. Everyone else is going to stop their conversation. <laughs> That's just inevitable. but but, yeah, it's um I, there's the practicality of it. And then there's the, There's the danger of, especially with a fall election coming up, I mean, COVID and and, uh, policies that certain Democratic states have have uh, espoused and and locking down harder and longer and how kids have been in schools. I think there's going to be some reverb effects on that. But I also uh, it's it's a tricky game to say. The the acts of the despicable killer are his. This is who might have influenced him. But it's there's that danger, isn't it? In in putting a hostile label on an entire group of people and assigning some negative characteristics, they'll, um, you know, they'll sort of lash out and they all get to vote in November.
1: Yeah, well, and (laughs) yeah, uh, I I mean, as I said, I, I just don't think it's it's wise and I also don't think it's helpful Um, to to, to point at mainstream political figures and and try to blame them for Mm -hmm. this. But I I don't think those people can just shrug off that they are directly associating themselves with this, right? Liz Cheney, who's a prominent Republican, of course, she's become famous because she's at war with Donald Trump, but she she came out and said, my party, the Republican Party, and, and the thought leaders who are associated with that party need to stop with this stuff because they they are courting racists yeah and and the suggestion is they're doing it on purpose and republican operatives uh have said that for years that, that that the party has basically tried to use a series of dog whistles or like coded terms that will appeal to racists without fully embracing them um and yet that's a dangerous game so i i think they need to own that but i don't think uh, that it's particularly helpful and productive to look at this shooting and start saying and and try to make it an election issue uh, for, for the Democrats to try and point at the Republicans and say, you know, you're responsible for this. Yeah, I, I, th-
0: th- this is your guy or the or yeah. this is. Yeah, th- this is um, yeah. you've perpetuate. You've allowed the climate, the water temperature to get to the point where these things happen, because. You know, you do. You put it's. It's a little different than Hillary's basket of deplorables comment, but I think someone again, we all look at that now and go, "What's the win here?" In you saying that, a little like Trudeau, right? A little like Trudeau in February, going, mm. "This small fringe minority, where's your win here? Where Where do you benefit besides inflaming a bunch of people who who have legitimate questions about mandates? Not the other people, not the organizers, but everybody that just might want to show up and make their voice heard."
1: Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I think politically, it's a delicate game. Uh, and I, I have to say that, like, when I was in Buffalo talking to the people who most directly affected by this uh, this attack, including, you know, family members of people who were shot killed there, um they, they did they, they were viewing it through a political lens, because how can you not? They yeah. were attacked for essentially political purposes. Right. There's the, these people have never met this killer. They've never interacted with him. They have he he doesn't know them. They don't know him. They were targeted because he's a racist and they live in a heavily black zip code that was a few hours drive from his house. Um, but so but they weren't trying to say, you know, this is on Fox News or this is on the Republican Party. They weren't politicizing it that way. What they were saying is that, that like something's got to change about how this country d- deals with this black community, deals with this issue of racism, deals with this issue of race relations, like in how we're supported in how we're protected, like things need to change. And and so I think there may be taking, taking a lead from them. There's maybe a more productive conversation to be had in the United States about, about how, how to both help communities like that recover and how to better support them and how to deal with things like online extremism um, and radicalization and the the ways that you know, Plans like this get formulated. These are these are all copycats. Oh, right? yeah. Um, yeah. This guy's manifesto borrows heavily from the last manifesto, which borrowed heavily from the manifesto before that. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I don't know what the policing solutions are. I know that the mm. central intelligence and the FBI in the United States have identified this kind of uh right-wing radical extremism especially yeah. racially motivated as being like the biggest domestic terror threat in the united states and th- there must be ways uh seeing this online to fight this radicalization and and better protect communities from it and find out if there's an antidote to it that's you know? it that's Everybody it likes yeah. to say we got to come together and end racism like there's a hearts and minds problem here and there certainly is but those are sometimes the hardest problems to figure out how to solve because there's no law you can pass to make people less racist. I, I, you're right. Yeah.
0: You you got it. Yeah. Yeah. We got to identify it. drill down. Uh, Andrew Yang had comments this year and he said this is that we got a problem with young men and I think we got a problem with white guys. That's everybody that was in Charlottesville. They're not not 48-year-old women marching in Charlottesville. They all look like 25-year-old white dudes. So let's identify it, be honest about it, and figure out how we can fix it. i got to leave it there, but I want to have more conversations like this with you, Edward. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, Really enjoyed having you on, and uh, have a great long weekend.
1: Thanks. You too, and I'll look forward to the next one. Awesome.
0: Edward Keenan, Toronto Star columnist, our guest. It's Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist for Global News, kind of kind of the, uh, you know, Dickens-esque tale of two weekends, best of times worst of. We have really warm temperatures today and tomorrow, Sunday, Monday, a little less so, right?
3: Uh, Yeah, exactly. We're back to seasonal on Sunday, a little bit below on Monday. But as that happens, it also dries out. So I think by early afternoon Sunday, right through the end of the weekend, the whole second half is uh, going to be dry and just pleasant, less humid. Uh, but if you're looking for that, that jump in the lake or uh, maybe open the pool up type situation, uh, it's today and, and it's tomorrow until those thunderstorms roll in late in the day.
0: So uh, it is it going to rain almost like every day the next two weeks? There's a possibility at least something to not a brilliant day like we had all day yesterday for a while. It's it just looks like it's going to be spotty is the best way I'd describe it.
3: Body. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I don't think we're we're going to be seeing a long, dry stretch. That was unusual. We talked about it last week, how uh, every day sunny uh, this early in the season isn't something we get often. But uh, there are going to be those moments, those one, two day stretches of of nice weather. I, I see it again later next week. But yes, there is there is some rain uh, coming. But even this weekend, I mean, you would have asked me a couple of days ago, I, I would have pointed to more wet weather than dry. And now, I think, other than just a, a few hours of, of rain and possibly heavy storms, uh, it's going to be a very nice weekend overall.
0: Sunday, Monday, obviously fireworks. We're talking about it. We're uh, we're going to set some uh, rockets off into the air like we haven't done since twenty. 20- 2019 <laughs> really yeah, uh, unless,
3: I, I, unless it's your backyard <laughs> or your local park because those have uh, been different stories and, you, and, and
0: and at that point anthony we should still point out that point if you did that last year you still uh you still risked arrest uh trial and maybe even deportation a year ago at this time so we're we're in a better place if you're setting these off in your neighborhood but but it, cold weather maybe even sunday and monday outdoors for fireworks way more than usual
3: uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm talking about tonight, which there are no fireworks, but we're, we have a low of mm-hmm. 20 degrees, and that, that would make uh, a, a July night proud. You know, it's kind of that that summer pattern. But then uh, single digits by by late night, the next couple of of, of, one, of uh, Sunday and then Monday. So, uh, yeah, you're going to need to uh, bundle up out there. Uh, make sure if you are going out to the park, you, you avoid the alcohol. We've talked about that before. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, overall, it, it's kind of one of those weekends where, uh, you still need the sweater. This is—I know everybody says—okay, summer, right? No, May 24 always has <laughs> a bit of a chill and an edge to it, and uh, this this time will be no different.
0: And and you could lose. Look, um, you, you could lose a lot of uh, a cash betting on uh, single game baseball potentially if you didn't know what you were doing. I don't even know how to put this on you and 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 have you guess as to Roger's Center Roof being open or not. I would say yes for tonight. Um. And yes, even for tomorrow afternoon's game, but maybe not on Sunday. Maybe we just won't get the day Sunday that we want for uh,
3: for the yeah, finale and, of the series. You know what? If I, I don't know if the the roof guy is a risk taker, but <laughs> I think even, even Sunday uh, maybe by mid game, uh, they should be able to open that up. But uh, uh, today we, we are. I'm looking at the radar right now, and we are tracking a, a line hmm. of still some showers, thunderstorms move through London. This is the warm front, and it's going to weaken as it moves into the rest of the GTA. But it is uh, a sign that maybe it's not warm and humid now, but but that'll change uh, by this afternoon.
0: We should be able to vote for the roof guy. I think that's an important job in in the uh, you know in, in the in the landscape here. I, like I would watch a four person debate like we did Monday night for the roof guy uh, for for that, Rogers Center. That's a huge job to make that call and press that button.
3: It, it is, and <laughs> I, I mean I, I've seen them make mistakes before, and you have uh, kind of the the. the faucet turned on and people are like, what? Because <laughs> what does it take? It's, it's a 20 minute process to get that opener closed. Sometimes you got to make split split decisions.
0: At the very least a news conference afterwards. It's one thing to hear from Charlie Montoya, but you're like, yeah, the guy's like, yeah, look, um, you know, I did the best I could. I uh, I, I was thinking yep. good things in the third inning and then uh, things all went to hell from there. I'll try, I'll try and be better tomorrow. Like that's what that, you yeah, want I, that it accountability. Was,
3: it, it was analytics. It was money ball that's type stuff, <laughs> but uh,
0: we would watch that. We would watch those news conferences. We would watch those live streams. Anthony, will be watching tonight on uh, Global News at 530 and 6 with Farah Nasser and Alan Carter. Have a great weekend. Same to you and uh, all the listeners. Thanks for listening to Toronto Today. You can hear us on the Radio Player Canada app and, of course, at 640toronto.com.